0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Radio Contra, the podcast. Of AmericanPartisan.org. And I am joined in this episode by guests that I had on very early on in radio contra uh getting all this started back before I was even on Podbean. And man oh man has time flown since then. Uh one of my very original guests, a guy who I really have needed to have on more often than I have. But Mr. Matt Robertson of, of the Everyday Marksman, what's up, brother?
1: Oh, what's up? Happy to be here. I'm 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 uh, I'm thrilled to be back. I, I actually taking note here. Last time you and I talked was March 2020. That was on my show. We were talking about uh, radio stuff.
0: Yeah, dude, how time flies, man. Two <laughs> no, seriously. years. Two years of the world. The world is—it's crazy because the world is so different now than than when we talked back then. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like every 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 so often I'll go back and I'll listen to old podcasts from back in the day, like um, from back in the the early days. And you know, little known fact, I really hate to hear myself, and I really hate those old podcasts and but but i listened to them because it, it gives a frame of reference like whatever it was that we were talking about back then like what aged well or what didn't age well you know like like what it, it's just interesting to kind of look back and you know man like like time after time i go back and i listen to it and i'm like yeah you know we we didn't realize how good we had it then you know and now like dude look at look at the condition we're in now like post post COVID you know we've kind of got past it like COVID was the current thing now we've got you know know, Ukraine became the thing and you know now we've got uh, renewed threats against the second amendment and Mm-hmm. you know all, all all this stuff man you know the the uh supreme court justice is getting threats against their lives and uh which which was predictable it, it, it was predictable and it's mm-hmm. it's going to continue to be predictable but man oh man how time flies and how time time absolutely changes and one of the things one of the things that, that you know i'm glad to have you on On because uh from the civilian side and and your military background you know you you've you've got a very unique perspective i think on the training community and what it takes to be an armed and prepared citizen in today's world and in today's contemporary threat environment and um you know a lot of a lot of noise has been made about about the new sig m5 um in two seventy seven sig fury uh and this is very interesting man it it it's a interesting weapon I've, some people have said this is kind of a a step backwards um you know we're it of course it's based on the sig m c x and it, it's a heavier weapon than the m four but we're getting longer range what are your thoughts on this weapon and elaborate if you will how this changes the training paradigm and and what that means for us as as civilians
1: so i'll 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 say uh i guess i'll start with saying i don't think this changes a whole lot for for civilians because you know the the AR15 platforms been around and been successful since 1963 for a reason you know, despite all of the bad press it's gotten and the many attempts to try and replace it, it keeps going because it does what it was supposed to do really well. So I think it's worth going back to how did we get where we are? So you know the brief history on that, not not the political drama of, you know, the M the AR fifteen versus the M fourteen, but what originally drove adoption of five five six and the M sixteen. You know, it goes back to uh, I I started back in nineteen thirty. When there was original studies done around you know potential wounding power of a small caliber bullet at high velocity carried on into the 50s yeah. and, and i'll i'll highlight one particular one particular study that was done uh, norman hitchman of the oro i think the operational research office of the army i don't know if you're familiar with this with this paper or not uh, yeah so hitchman yeah, I am. Oh yeah so, okay cool so so you know hitchman was he did another project first called Allclad. It was how do people get killed in combat? Was actually what he did first, uh, and then he did his uh, requirements for an infantry rifle. And you know the big findings out of that one, and he was challenging the status quo. Was you know m- most firefights up to that point, 1952, happened within 100 yards. That was just generally what happened. Was in the, inside of 100 yards, beyond 100 yards. You know, the, the pressure of everything meant that marksmanship ship dropped off a cliff. By 300 yards, it was basically getting shot with small arms is like getting hit with shrapnel. It was random at that point. And the biggest factor on whether or not someone got shot was exposure. How how long were they out in the open or out from behind cover? And the, the goal of his proposed rifle, because there was no AR-15 at this point, was a, a weapon that would be easy to aim quickly and get multiple shots on target. That was the goal and and do it inside of 300 yards. And then it then would carry good enough wounding potential to be considered effective. So overall, the studies they did, we got to the M16, which was 6.4 pounds on the the M16A1, 6.4 pounds as opposed to 9.2 of the M14. And it was like a gunfighter's rifle, lightweight, easy maneuver, good enough wounding potential you carry a lot of ammo with it uh and that meant that you were light you were nimble you could get up get like move get behind cover and you could get accurate shots on target and i think that was all you know in hindsight i think we all think that that worked pretty well i don't know what would you say to that
0: no i i agree and i you know i don't think i'm kind of i'm kind of in the minority here and and I have a, I have some caveats to what I'm about to say. For for general purpose issue, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the 5.56. Uh, I think that, that we've been trying to look for a better mousetrap for a long time. The only issue with 5.56 has been 62 grain uh, green tip penetrator, mm-hmm. and that that round is a failure. I, I mean, I've seen it fail. Okay, it it has failed in my hands. Right I've seen it work too in my hands, but I've also seen it fail and and when you're talking about uh winning capability going back to that original test and you know the the whole um uh, where where our paradigm of i'm up, he sees me, I'm down, the three or five second buddy rush where that doctrine comes from um you know with five five six it is i I think that it is almost almost a perfect intermediate caliber i think the 762 by 39 is the perfect intermediate caliber uh but 556 is very close and it does what it is purported to do and it does it very well and it does it in a way that allows for quick follow up shots um and th- there is i think that the m4 carbine um now that we have have now that we know, 20 years removed, we know what we know about the platform, and and, and our knowledge has been updated drastically. So, um, you know, the, the M4 equipped with uh, a VCOG or a a one to six uh, by 24 variable power optic, you're you're really the capability that you have there out to 500 meters is is wonderful and and i don't i i personally don't see why uh we're looking to change that for a standard issue especially when we are going to a heavier platform a heavier loadout a heavier weapon overall when we've we've got many other issues with you know the the, the guys in uniform right now that I don't think fielding a new weapon, especially when, you know, there, there's war with China on the horizon. There's uh potential uh, conflict in for wider conflict in Europe. That is, that is going to be spreading. Um, fielding a new weapon just doesn't seem that smart to me. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, I've always been a big fan of seven, six, two by 51. And while or you know, are are there better calibers out there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, six point five Creedmoor, way way better caliber. And and when you're talking about better, what I mean is is that the tra- train up time for the end user. That is specifically what I am talking about. I, I mean the terminal effect of both is is fine. Um, you know, but six point five Creedmoor is. You know, not as much drop at a thousand meters, bucks wind far superior to 7.62 by 51. And you're, you're talking about an a designated marksman's platform. And that's the caveat, a designated marksman's platform or a, a sniper's weapon. And there is a differentiation between the two uh, that, that needs to be made. And it's not made often enough, I think. But <laughs> when, when we're talking about this, it. It seems like to me, and, and the stuff that I've seen that that has come at least from uh, the army brass that is really pushing this program, what they're what it looks like to me, what they're trying to do is make a shift towards uh, a longer engagement range, um, going to more protracted battles. And kind of the, this this uh, thing that that we came to use and, and rely on in Afghanistan uh, that standoff distance where um, you know somebody like me with a sniper's weapon you know I had an m24 and other guys that were in my section you know the the m110 the um, m21 EBr so on and so forth uh, you know we're we're utilizing those weapons in conjunction with air power. And that seems to be, at least to me, the the new standard that that they're coming out with, uh, the, the new doctrine by which fire maneuver is going to be taking place. My question is though, being a guy that lives in the southeastern United States and training people and, and being you know a part of the training community, my question is, is first, without even addressing the logistics, is what does this? How does this change our game? Because there's been old timers out there, and this is one thing I want to get your perspective on. There's been old timers out there that have been talking about, you know, everybody running DMR types setups and these heavier weight weapons, and then there's been, you know, the guys that have advocated for going literally as light as possible, and and you know, myself, I'm included in that group because the, the lighter you can go, obviously, the better. Um, but it, it just seems like to me that, that there's going to be a, that, that there is this shift in the strategy here. And that always, 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 always has a trickle down effect into the training community. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. All
1: right. So there's a lot there. I, I, I want to come back to another point first. Just as I agree with you, it's a general idea. Five, five, six was a I just, uh, general issue. Five, five, six was, is great. It was great, continues to be great, and there was an ammunition issue. Um, I, as an infantry general issue infantry rifle, I don't think the M5 makes sense. It's 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 heavy, it's going to recoil more, the parts wear out faster, when I think was forgotten weapons is estimating barrel life at 2,000 rounds, uh, you know, using the full power ammo. All, all that yeah. to me says yep. this is not general issue. Um where I think it makes sense is what you're saying with that DMR role, especially because it's modular with a, uh, uh, automatic rifleman role, right? So now you have two rifles with a shared ammunition that are fairly easy, like some shared logistics between them that are both your, you know, support weapons. That's where it makes sense to me. You know, where now you have the extra range, you have the extra penetration for, for those weapons while your main, your main fighters stay light and nimble and can advance <laughs> anyway. I'm not. I'm not squad. Unit, uh, small unit tactics guy. That's just what makes sense to me. Um, so how no, does this, I
0: agree, man.
1: So, how, but how how does this affect civilian training? Um, you know, I, I I agree with you that it seems like we're we're making this push back, not even back, but well, maybe back back in time, making this push where we're going to shift engagement ranges out, where we want to be able to the over the overmatch philosophy that I know. You know, looking at the the papers out of Afghanistan, were all well. Yeah, the M4s were getting outraged by PKMs, but the point was that that's what your mortars are for, and that's what other things are for to deal with that. And I I I'm concerned, as you know, just watching all of this, that this is this is another example of fighting the last war. Because if the future is the Pacific theater, or it's deeper into Europe, then I don't think we're going to see Afghanistan-style terrain again. But it's going to be different and if you have optimized yourself for something further away than what you're going to face now you're at a potential disadvantage so that said i think how does how do i think this affects our training training paradigm in 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 the u.s as a civilian i think we're going to see probably a lot more of that kind of thing maybe a little bit more of the dmr style training like oh yeah bring out I'm, lpvo training has already gotten popular throw on more magnification um and you know work at mid-range more often than i, I hate to call enter but a lot of people go to classes expecting to learn nothing but cqb stuff like we're gonna we're gonna put the target at 20 yards and in and that's all we're gonna do is up drills and and you know go fast super fun stuff and i think there's probably going to be right. an emphasis a, a longer emphasis on that mid-range marksmanship and i even see it in my own preferences i i have decidedly shifting more towards back some some low magnification on my, on my rifles. Like all my favorite ones are all rocking prismatic optics. Now, not even LPVS, um, primarily out of that desire of, if I'm going to keep a lightweight rifle, then I want to keep it a lightweight rifle.
0: Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, prismatics, prismatics have kind of fallen out of vogue for the time being, um, you know, like, like what primary arms is offering is which is very interesting and and vortex is as well um you know I can't say that they're made in the same place, but I can reasonably suspect that they are uh but with their their compact their ultra compact prismatics you're talking about two and a half power all the way up to five power you know fixed power optic you know at, at the the size of of a uh, not much more than an aim point t one and mm-hmm. i mean this is capability that that i wish that i'd had in afghanistan i mean that that would have been uh you know really really amazing and you know the the lightweight options out there and and uh you know i see a lot of people that come to class they've got low power variable optics i mean and i do too uh i have it's about 50 50 for me with with prismatics and low power variable optics of course the the ACOG is always going to be my standby, um, you know, and, and I've got a couple of optics and primary arms. I have a night force uh, one to eight as well. And, you know, I, I think you're, you're exactly right. We are seeing a shift more to the DMR type stuff. And, I, of course, I do a class on that, too, um, you know, as, as part of the scout course. And I'm seeing that style of training get much more popular, just as you indicated.
1: So I, I think, I think from a a configuration standpoint, I'm kind of like, if I'm reading the tea leaves of, of where I think we're going to start seeing some divergence, I I actually think we're going to see the, the LPVO, as we think about it, start to start to wane. I think it's, it's gotten all the emphasis because it was all the hotness from competition shooting. But when you talk to guys, like I've interviewed several, several dudes who, you know, were issued you know one to six optics or bought their own v cogs and in the entire time they were overseas the thing lived on six x and if they needed close range they had an offset red dot so to me in my head it's like if that's the common story then save the weight i get why they have they they like the versatility that if they could zoom it down then that was the option but like you could certainly save yourself like a pound almost if you if you just like all right well then give me a x prism with an offset red dot and get the same same capability there for a lot less weight so i think we're going to see a shift backwards that way where maybe we start leaning back on lightweight a little bit more a little bit more compact magnification with additional sighting like a mini red dot and then the other way for the for the dmr class you're talking about i think we're going to see more of that mid power variable the three to fifteens the two two and a half to tens we're going to see more of those start picking up too along with offset red dots
0: Yeah, I agree, man. That it, that's I, I mean that that's spot on you talk to a lot of people, uh interview a lot of guys that are working in the industry for sure, and, and that is, is um that, that's that's kind of the way that I see things as well. It, it it makes the most amount of sense. Um do you think I'm trying to think of exactly how I want to put this. Do you think that um in what Widespread shooter culture here in, in the U.S. Whether you want to call that the the prepper culture or training culture or you know whatever it is, there's some people they really don't like the term prepper. There's there's a lot of guys that come to class that, that really don't like being called preppers because I mean they definitely, they definitely, feel they're more definitely don't call that. the M word. <laughs> oh yeah no 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 that's you know that's a big no-no too but i mean but then again there's a lot of people that that call all themselves preppers that i know that that are super squared away too and, and don't mind the term at all it, i mean it, it, it's really it's a case-by-case basis but you know and in, in saying that uh for the prepared armed trained citizen out there who is you know taking the that responsibility, the, the spirit of the Second Amendment, which is, you know, well-regulated means quite literally well-trained. Uh, so for for that crowd, do you think that 556 is going to start to taper off? Because the, the AR-15 is still the hottest selling firearm by far in the United States. Do you think that that, do you think that people are going to, start looking at other calibers i mean 300 blackout yeah you know in in uh very very small quantities you know we've had a bunch of other also Mm rands do you think that maybe this is where this is where other calibers are going to start to shine or or is that really a moot point i
1: i mean i think you'll see it i mean from my from my perspective like i you know i'm looking at from the logistics side of things you know if you are if you're being a serious prepper and you know, let's say you're building up a collection of things that you know if you had to, you could arm arm your your group you know and provide everything they need to also you know be your your battle buddies. There's a lot to be said for commonality on the caliber. and five five six is available. It's relatively inexpensive. and it does a good enough job. Is there something that's more optimized for certain conditions? Yeah. Of course, Uh, there's always something that's just more optimized, but at what point are you optimizing for the wrong thing? Because I, I, I'm not even like an infantry guy, but I, I know enough to say like, there's a point of diminishing returns on spending more and more money on your, on your gear and finding the most optimum caliber for that situation that you're never going to be able to stack deep enough is less important than things like your own physical fitness, uh, less important than things like, do you know how to shoot, move, communicate less important than your first aid medical skills. You know, there's a lot of other things that you should also be concerned with besides how much money you've spent on your gear. Um, For that reason, I just don't think five, five, six is going to go away. I think it's at this point, it's America's caliber. And, and there's also some decent alternatives. I mean, like I've been, I've been every time I go down the the thought of like, I should get a 300 blackout for, for doing stuff. You know, if I want to suppress it and run around the house. And at the same time, I'm like, you know, for a, about the same amount of money. I could always just go get a short barreled seven six two thirty nine. <laughs> and exactly. And that's probably good enough. And I'll have fun a lot more ammo for it.
0: Exactly. You know, and and even still, I mean I I saw over on the forum, there there was somebody that was making a, a very interesting case over there about um, you know, the the availability of seven sixty two by thirty nine in the future and you know you know primary arms definitely has their factory on the horizon uh of turning out ammo is steel cased ammo seven sixty by thirty nine five point four five uh seven sixty two by fifty four right that that's what they're looking at and and I mean it it is a from the business end it is a surefire bet that's gonna happen okay And and that's me telling you as somebody who works with, with Palmetto state, um, you know, and, and advertises for them and, you know, and, and, everything else, but, um, I will say though, that, that it's not built yet. Okay. It's not up and running yet. And there is uh, given what we see out of this administration, there can always be, um, a, a wrench thrown into the deal at any point in time, the EPA could jump in there and and shut something down, uh you know, as they've done, on time and time again. So there, there's, it's not a surefire bet, but the point is, is that 7.62 by 39 is still commonly available out there. It's still commonly available, and if the AK and you're saying, hey man, there there are ARs that are perfectly fine, and it, I wouldn't necessarily run them as a first option. Um, but if, if you're looking at something that's maybe a little bit heavier for specific purposes, um, you know, maybe not a a main combat weapon, it's not really the worst way to go. uh, 300 blackout. eh, I I'm, I'm just not a fan. I'm not going to be a fan. Um, if I look at 300 blackout, it is, it's a really expensive way to have, uh, in supersonic, it's a expensive way to have 7.62 by 39. In subsonic, it's an expensive way to have 45 ACP. Um, yeah. and I, I like, I've shot plenty of them. They shoot very well suppressed. I, they hit hard, nothing against it whatsoever. But, it, and I mean, if you got the cash flow to dump into it by all means, it, you know, by all means, but I don't, think that that should be everybody's default option out there. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I get, I get the appeal. I mean, you can go, go run regular 308 bullets If you're going to load your own run get some runs from regular 308 bullets and, and two, two, three brass. And then off you go to the races. I just diminishing returns. Like what's, I get it. You get a variety of bullets, but when it comes down to how, how much time you're going to spend training, reloading, stockpiling, and then if it all stops and you can't buy anything else, then whatever you've got is what you've got. How's that going to work out if you can't get any more?
0: Exactly. And you know, you were talking about logistics. And and I want to back up to that. That's one of those things. It it is not a topic that that gets enough attention because, you know, everybody kind of, thinks like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna get my better mouse trap over here and i've got the coolest rifle on, on the block and you know i've got my super gucci you know whatever rifle and nothing is standardized on it you know and and i've seen people online that have trashed you know mil spec oh you know mil spec that's just built to the lowest common denominator or whatever lowest bidder like look the the specifications are what they are it's a specific measurement it's a specific hardness all right carpenter 158 steel on a bolt there's a reason that these exist and it's it's for commonality it is not it's not that it's superior inferior whatever right that that's not the argument the argument is is that it is built to a specific standard so that you know all right my rifle can interchange change with your rifle. If, if I've got five spare bolts over here that are mil spec bolts and you have a mil spec chamber, they're going to work with the least amount of fuss. And that's an important thing. And, and I mean, if you're running the AR, I know you've seen this, you're going to eventually shear lugs. It's just one of those things on the bolt face. It's going to happen. All right. If you're running suppressed, it's going to happen even f- faster, faster, it's just one of those things, so I mean the logistics of it all. Um, you know, so you 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 don't see five five six going anywhere.
1: Uh, I think I think it's it's just at this point, like it's been around for since nineteen nineteen fifties. Like this is America's caliber, you know. Yeah, thirty out of six hasn't gone anywhere. <laughs> like that's you can still get you can still get thirty right. out six. Um, I just I just don't see right. it going.
0: yeah i don't either and and i've got a bunch of emails about that i've had a bunch of emails a bunch of people asking you know hey do you think that that uh you know if if they if the military there's been a lot of conspiracy theories well i don't i don't know if conspiracy theory is even really a good way to it's a good thing to call this but when uh there's been this theory that's been floating around. Yeah, we'll call it a conspiracy theory. It's been floating around. Oh, the the army's switching calibers so that you know that they, they'll they'll deplete all the existing 5.56 and then civilians won't be able to get any. I I don't know, man. I like I the first time that I read that, I laughed at it, um, because I, I thought that 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 was pretty silly. I, I still think that that's really. I'm saying this with a grin right now. It, 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 I think that's pretty silly. What What's your thoughts on that?
1: I mean, I I, I mean, there's the, the the cynic in me says I think the military switching calibers because somebody wants to get paid and they want to get a they want to get yep. the nice fat. Yeah, you know, right there. Look, like they want they want their big fat bullet point on their on their uh, performance report saying I'm the one who drove 277 adoption. Um, that's that's what I think they're switching is. I mean, how many years we had said things like the articles that have been written like the infantry you know, a quarter mile and, and we're getting out range. We need better this, that, so let's, let's adopt a caliber that's going to recoil more and harder to train marksmanship when you, you're already terrible at marksmanship. Great idea. Now I, I don't think it has anything to do with, with like conspiracy about depleting two, two, three. Um, you know, if, if they were like, here, I'm going to be funny as if they really wanted to do that, there are better ways to do it. Like, uh, going after case materials, <laughs> you know, like instead of brass yeah. or like, I think I just saw it today. Yeah. Like, this one's probably probably more interesting to me. I just saw today that hey, they're going to ban lead ammo on all federal land. So what's that going to do to <laughs> like like good luck enforcing that. But like I like that, that's the way that they would go. It's not going to be switching calibers, you know, from 556 to 277 Fury. Uh there's other ways to to go about trying to deplete ammo supply.
0: Yeah. No, I agree, man. It it <laughs> But it's one of those things that it needs to be addressed because it is floating around the interwebs right now. It is floating around the forums. It's floating around the comments sections on on any sites out there, mine included. And every time I see it, I just have to. say, like, oh, come on, man! You know, this is this. You're not you're not thinking, but you know, typically the people that make those comments are not. Well, they're not thinkers,
1: so you know. I, I think I think some people thrive on the drama, you know. I, I, I could see, like, I even see the sim similar side of like, given everything that's going on legislatively right now, like, well, they're, they're probably going to try and ban two, two, three. Okay. Yeah. But, like, I don't even know how like they could try, and then we'll call it two, two, four, whatever. Like, <laughs> it's like that's not like the. Eh. I mean, not that not that I ascribe politicians with an overabundance of intelligence, um, but that's just that that's just a waste of time.
0: Yeah. Oh, they know it is, too. I mean, this is this what I've contended from the very beginning. This is all a sideshow. This is a sideshow. This is a distraction. Um, Things are not going going according to plan elsewhere with the the last thing that we needed to, to all get behind. Right. You know, the, the, I support the current (laughs) thing. Well, the the last thing we were all supposed to support is kind of coming apart at the seams now. And, you know, the, the, the moneymakers over at Raytheon and Lockheed Martin are saying, Hey, uh, we don't have the materials to be building more javelins like that's that hmm. we we don't have it we actually especially with the guidance systems that are uh, one of the components of a stinger it was disclosed before congress that that was discontinued almost 2 decades ago hmm. and so the existing stockpiles that we have that we sent over to ukraine uh we don't have the ability to build more of them and we didn't really think yeah, that we were going to uh... need to
1: so, funny story in that without going too deep into it. Um, I come from a nuclear weapons background and there's very similar stories there <laughs> stuff that was designed and built 30, 40 years ago in the 70s and the 80s. Uh, and there is just no replacement for today. <laughs> like, if you would, if you wanted to rebuild it, good luck.
0: And <laughs> I mean, what, what, uh, what what a, a great strategy there. You know, let's, I don't think that there's ever been you know, it's funny, on I mean, the face I, of the earth.
1: It's, it's, oh, go ahead. It's, it, it's a total sidetrack tangent, but it, you know, it makes sense, you know, the nuclear weapons thing makes sense when you, when you come from the perspective of the cold war and saying that, you know, we were designing and fielding new nuclear weapon designs every seven years. I mean, you were just like, you were saying, we were gonna put this one on top of a missile it's going to be good for seven years. Then we're gonna have a new design to replace it with. Uh, and that was the, that was the thinking was that, Hey, we're gonna, we're always in a develop and field new stuff and retire old stuff. But then all of a sudden it ends (laughs) like with no warning it ends and all production ceases. And then what you had in your stockpile was it. And it wasn't designed to last, you know, forever. You know, like they, we we've improvised. Right. So I'm not gonna say I'm gonna say our stuff is good, but like it just wasn't designed to do that. You, if you wanted to design it to do that, you could, but that wasn't the design intention. Anyway, side t- side tangent. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> and and no, 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 man. That, that I mean, that's that's such an important point to make because that that dovetailed exactly what I was gonna say. You never ever pick a fight. There's never been a, a army ever in the history of the world going all the way back to Hannibal but all the way back to Hannibal Hannibal crossing the Alps coming out of North Africa going up through the Iberian Peninsula and was going to attack Rome because he knew that if he was going to come into Italy there was no way that he could get his army across the Mediterranean They, they didn't have the ability to do that and he understood logistics so and of course it ended up being a failure because he relied on animals that didn't they did well in north africa they didn't do so well when you get them up into the alps and he, he had to learn that the hard way well you know you you apply that that to today every one of these generals that have you know and, and this applies to the m5 too to the sig m5 and changing caliber you know switching horses in mid-race you know, they've made no consideration to logistics here, especially with a fight that is brewing. All right. Now, whether or not, you know, I'm a, of the opinion personally that, that we've had a pretty heavy hand in picking the fight in Europe, not necessarily in the Pacific, but definitely in, in Europe, we we picked that fight. We should have damn well stayed out of it, but that's just me. And, you know, and, and not everybody agrees with that. Hey, that's fine. But you know you we did not sit back and think this one out of you know, hey, we're gonna send x number of things to Ukraine for them to fight right? How are we going to replace it? Nobody sat there and thought that out, and it it's a leadership failure on part of Washington to sit and say, "Oh, you know, hey, we'll just throw forty billion and then forty more billion at it. You can't just throw money at a problem and expect it to." Be be solved overnight. Mm-hmm. No,
1: no. unfortunately, th- so uh, this is something I've been, I've been talking about, um, you know, amongst my, like my little community of short-term thinking and, you know, Americans in general, this is you know, the West in general, but Americans especially have very short-term thinking problems, you know, in, in business world, it's quarter to quarter and fiscal results, you know, trying to please your stakeholders and in, in, in government elections, it's, it's election cycles, you know, in, in the military. And I know y- you've seen this, it's, you know, until your assignment is over and you have to earn that, earn those points. So right. we, we are like, nobody's thinking more than you know, seriously thinking more than two to four years away. Whereas a lot of our adversaries, they're thinking in terms of generations, you know, right. and they will happily take the loss today to make sure that they have the edge in 20 years. And that's the way they're thinking about it. And I think that's, it's, I don't know how to break
0: that stalemate, you know, culturally. Well, the only way that you do is you get your ass kicked, you know, collectively <laughs> or in our, our culture. I hate to say that. I really do because I know what that means. But if if you look at the decadence, I mean, there, there was a video that I put up on American Partisan uh, a few weeks ago and it was a chechen commander who was addressing prisoners of war in donbass uh it it, well, it, it might have been azovstal um but i'll have to go back and look at it but that that part doesn't matter what does matter is is that they were treating the ukrainians that and these were all ukrainian guys these weren't foreign fighters uh because they're not treating the foreign fighters very well as they shouldn't because i mean you're you're essentially a a brigand at that point. Don't ever, for all the listeners out there, don't ever think that you're gonna go fight another man's war. I mean that that's just that's just stupid. Um, you know, all those romantic notions of being Ernest Hemingway and the international brigades, you're gonna find out, right? and, and a lot of people have, unfortunately, that you don't fight another man's war. Um, but so all the Ukrainians that are there, this Chechen commander, right? And so um Chechnya is something that, professionally, I know a lot about. Um, the the two distinct phases of, of the conflict throughout the 1990s into the early 2000s, um, you know, and around 2004 or so is is where it really um, hit its, its 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 final phase, um, and the reforms that the Russian military made at the small unit level, but this this Chechen commander is very very interesting, and and he was making the same point that you just brought up. And what he was saying was was that and and you know essentially like, like look generationally look generationally at this, and you are fighting on on part of an LGBT flag. That was specifically what he said, and and that was his label for the West. You know you got to sit back and think okay you know it doesn't matter what you or i or anybody else necessarily thinks like our worldview our outlook on you know western western liberalism quote unquote and you know this idea is you know as a libertarian kind of each their own whatever you know but the rest of the world doesn't see things this way and that has very real consequences when you begin screwing around in somebody else's backyard they don't see the, the world the same way that you do through the same lens mm-hmm. that you do they're not oh, no. going to and that's what these guys are fighting for and they're fighting for that generationally and they see the west you know it used to baffle us man like the early 2000s the post 9 Era when we would we we would sit back and and we would say you know about the Middle East and Afghanistan and Pakistan and that entire world of Central Asia why do they call us the Great Satan we couldn't fathom why that was now you know we're 20 years removed, removed from there and you start to realize you look back and I'm not justifying anything but you look back and and what some of these guys were saying like man you know I mean, we look at contemporary events here in the United States. Did they have a point?
1: I'll say it is hard. What's also frustrating to me is it's hard to separate, you know, the nature of the the world today and Internet and the openness of of Western culture in general. It's hard to say how much of the direction that we're dealing with now internally is also prompted by foreign foreign interference, you know, who are promoting promoting. You know, Absolutely. a lot of what we're seeing and like funding it and intentionally to try and drag down your culture. You know, we don't know. Like there's no way, rule. We really know how much that was an impact and how much of it was actually organic. Doesn't or doesn't matter at this point. You know, we have to claw our way back out of it.
0: Yeah. I well, I think that's a good point too. Is I, I don't know that it matters. I I, I don't know. Um, I I think. It, I think you're exactly right that that there is a a fairly heavy uh, foreign influence that's at work and and is going to continue to be and and they know that they're subverting Western culture but they're exploiting weakness. This is something. I mean, the Soviets had a plan to do this this for a long time. They talked about it. Uh, they were quite open about it. I mean, uh, Viktor Suvorov and. And Aquarium was very, very upfront about the different groups on the left in America that the KGB and the GRU were actively exploiting. And the the uh, the homosexual underground was one of them. I mean, it, it, it and he was very blunt. That was what they called it. And he was very, very blunt about exactly what they were gonna do. Here we are.
1: Yeah, it's, and it's scary to think like, you can't separate. I've seen videos also saying, you know, and, and all, all of these like special interest groups have all been named as like, they were of interest to foreign powers to try and exploit and and fund and drive wedges. So um, yeah, and it's scary to think about that. Like, it's just like, how much are we not actually in control of our own destiny because we don't ask the right questions and because we we just didn't think about it. We didn't think anybody could.
0: Exactly right. Last thing that I want to ask, uh, 15 minutes on the clock, is breaking down the situation with Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, So we know that uh, there was a guy that had uh, all the equipment to carry out an assassination. Um, He was pretty serious about it. He sent Uh, a message he had posted a lot on both reddit and twitter to the group group uh ruth sent us and these folks are serious he has been arrested he has been charged with attempted murder um he was rolled up with a handgun a hammer uh some breaking and entering tools and it was pretty explicit what he was going to do now other people from this group had have disclosed the uh they've they doxed the location of amy coney barrett's kids where they go to school um you know i've talked about in the past with uh with other folks on the podcast that, that are pretty well educated in fourth generation warfare and kind of uh the whole coin counterinsurgency paradigm um asymmetric warfare group kind of stuff where uh we left a bang. Break this down for us. Your thoughts on this? How this is a game changer? If you think this guy's a, a lone wolf, or it's it's part of a larger concerted effort, and and really what we need to be looking out for.
1: Uh, so, you know, for me, this is a really complicated complicated situation. So first off, you know, ap- 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 terrible. Like it's a terrible thing. Like to think you're going to go after you know a Supreme Court justice because you don't think they're gonna vote the way that you want. Um, you know, every time something like that happens, it just opens the door a little more for something, the next thing. You know, mass shooting is a good example of this too. Uh lots of factors that go into the mass shooting mass shooting question or or spree shooting, I'll say, because I know mass shooting has such a wide definition now that it does it does like it doesn't mean anything anymore. But we'll say when we say spree shooting, you know what I'm talking about. And it's you know this Right. This idea, the riot theory, where it's, you know, someone's threshold moment where someone, you know, when you see somebody else do something, it, it subtly gives you permission to do it, too. You know, and the the more that these things happen, the more I think we're going to start seeing people who otherwise would never have done something like that. But you know what? That guy did it. And then that guy did it. And then that guy did it. So it it gets more morally acceptable. And I think we're going to start seeing more of this kind of stuff. Um, you know, and it's, it's going to get bad. Like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't throw around like the Civil War phrase uh, very much, but um, you call it what you want, you know, we are going to end up in a situation where there are groups of people on both sides who are just, you know, who are angry. And some percentage of that group wants to get violent about it and there's they're looking for that opportunity and i i don't know <laughs> like, i just don't know what we're going to end up doing about that um it's going to get nasty but i think you know, before it gets better
0: yeah i think so too i think so too it, and something that i brought up was you know going back to the 1960s 1970s italy and West Germany, Uh, Operation Gladio and, you know, not, not the conspiracy theory, quote unquote, Operation Gladio, but the the actual stuff, you know, and and I'm not going down that rabbit hole, Uh, but because I know there's always going to be somebody in the comment section and it's going to, you know, bring up something, you know, off the wall about Gladio. Okay, whatever. Um, Point is, though, is that look up the the kidnapping and assassination of Aldo Moro who was the prime minister of Italy and general Dozier, uh, bill Dozier getting kidnapped and then his subsequent rescue, uh, by Delta. Very, very interesting story. Um, but that I think at least, and I hope that I'm wrong. I, I pray that I'm wrong. I pray that, that, you know, I'm not right about any of this stuff. But my professional education is pointing in a very different direction that this this is looking like we're we are quickly moving to that era where they had active communist insurgents who were carrying out violence on a daily basis uh as as a revolutionary act now it eventually got beaten but it took a mountain of resources in order to do that one big difference that they had in west germany and and in italy at that time well there were a couple of key differences the first one is is that they had a populace who was willing to say look enough is enough we we fought world war ii we we suffered through that our popular we ended up on the losing side of that our population suffered and we're not dealing with this anymore and we're not, not putting up with a communist insurrection right on the heels of this." you know the other thing that that they had was they had a a coherent united states that was committed to anti-communism we don't have that anymore we don't have that domestically in fact i would say the the scary thing is is that it's looking like our domestic security apparatus is is quite the opposite what do you say to that
1: you know i i, I these are all things that i worry about and you know to the point of like escalation I know he posts on american partisan but like I, I always i go back and think about matt bracken and uh what he wrote about what i saw on the way to the, on the way to uh i can't remember the name title of it now the coup but um
0: the coup what what i saw yeah the on coup. the
1: way to the coup what i saw at the coup and i just i, I go back and i think about like it, it, i i sometimes hear this analogy of like the, the 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 agitating left can look at violence like a like a knob where they can they can crank it up and down as needed to meet certain objectives. So you can see like riots in 2020, trying to put pressure on making certain things happen. Like, I don't know, winning an election, um, you know, or trying to drive certain policy moments. It'll turn violence up, make people uncomfortable to get what they want. And then generally on the right, it's, they try and tolerate it, try and tolerate, it, try and tolerate it. But I, like the analogy goes that that, then the switch gets thrown. It's like a toggle switch. It's not a, it's not a real stat. You can turn up and down. The switch goes on. It's a circuit breaker and I don't go back off until the problem's solved. So that's what I'm worried about is that eventually someone is going to retaliate explicitly. And the same thing happens in reverse where that person did it. Now the next person thinks it's okay. So they're going to do it. And then, and then so on until you end up in a really, really bad situation. And there's a really good probability that our own domestic security apparatuses are, are helping one side, uh, which is,
0: you know, unfortunate. Yeah, no, I mean, and it's not a conspiracy theory. It, it it's it, it's it. There there is ample evidence to that fact. I mean, if if this group, uh, uh, Ruth sent us, if if somebody wanted to shut them down now, they could. If Reddit wanted them gone, they'd be gone. If Twitter wanted them gone, they'd be gone. The accounts would be flagged everything would be known right you know uh the 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 data collection center out in utah they would have all of that they would be able to index all of that i mean and and we have the ability to do all of that the mobile devices that have been used to post all, all the account data we would know all those things damn near instantaneously and we would know I mean our our ability, our surveillance ability in 2022 is almost unfathomable to wrap your mind around. Mm. And they're allowing this to go on. And meanwhile, we have intas bulletin after intas bulletin after intas bulletin saying that you know people like you and I are the enemy. We've honorably served our country. We did our duty and and now we're we're committed to training people around. Us. Us. We're committed to to really staying in in you know and fighting shape, keeping ourselves sharp because our country demands that of us, and we demand that of our country. We're you know we're I, I don't want to necessarily call it a a, a ready reserve or, or whatever, but that kind of is uh you know the, that idea of a rifle behind every blade of grass. Uh, you know, going back to it, it was a, a quote that was incorrectly attributed to Admiral Yamamoto uh, because it, he didn't actually say that, but it, it was in Tora, 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 uh that That's what, where it was attributed. But still, that idea, you know, that's why we train. That's why we do what we do. And these guys are, are turning around our own very, our, our very own government is turning around saying that we're the enemy. To me, that's a slap in the face. I'm not an enemy of this country. I'm not an enemy of, of the people of the United States. I mean, damn, I, I, I fought for this country, you know, not once, not twice, but three times. And for them for them to label us that is a giant slap in the face. But it, it's, you know, I know that it falls on deaf ears because we see this for what it is. We see it for what it's becoming. And, and I'm afraid that you're exactly right, that we almost... We almost saw this with the Rittenhouse situation. And I think that that was a major shot across the bow, uh, pun not necessarily intended, but but towards the left and towards this government saying that, you know, hey, look, people do have the inherent right to self-defense of not just themselves, but of property as well and to stand up for the decency. If you're not going to get your police out there to do their jobs. We're going to have, we're going to have to do what we got to do.
1: And that's, you know, that, that's, that's basically where I come from. I know you, you, you train, like you have a lot of great courses and train people on that tactics. I'm just kind of, I'm trying to teach, you know, the, the everyday person, just the basic skills to adopt the mindset. And, and, you know, and one of the things I try to, I try to talk about is there's a lot of things wrong in the world. There is a lot. And you as one person probably don't have that much control over. But what you do have control over is yourself. You can control yourself. You can, you can work in your close sphere of your, your friends, your neighbors, your family. And you can make that better. And just focus on doing those things well and then slowly grow it. And that you know, focus on that first. Because that's, that's what's going to matter when we run into hard times is how good you, your family, your friends,
0: your neighbors are amen brother i think that that was that, that's a great way to put that where can people find you where can they find your podcast
1: oh yeah so so the big thing you know everything for me very runs through the website so everydaymarksman.co. dot uh it is dot co um you know from there i've got the articles i've got the podcast i also have a youtube channel these days where i do a lot of a lot of interviews so i, I need to update that one um, so yeah, that's pretty much the hub of everything. I don't do social media all that much. So, you know, I'm there, but it's probably, you know, the best place is going to be the website.
0: <laughs> right on brother. Right on. Matt Robinson, everyday marksman. Dude, always a big honor. It's not going to be two more years before I get you on. I promise. <laughs> I
1: promise. Oh, I gotta, yeah. I gotta get you on. Again, I have, we'll I have some questions too.
0: On. Oh yeah, man. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. you know, anytime, anytime I can get on, man, it's, it's, you know, it's definitely going to be fun, brother. It has been an honor to have you on.
1: Oh, it's been a pleasure to be here.
0: All right, brother. God bless. And all of you out there, the radio Contra listeners, the Mossy Oak militia, It has been an honor to have you in here on this Friday evening. God bless all of you. Have a wonderful, blessed weekend. Enjoy your families. Enjoy everybody around you and enjoy this still great country. God bless. Good night.